Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to The Ronettes' Be My Baby, and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Taking a walk. Maria Melito would be on from 10 to noon. We'd have Scott Muni hour from noon to one, and then Maria would come up and finish and do one to three. And I said, Maria, don't be upset that we're breaking up your show because that hour is going to boost your overall 10 to three rating, and you're going to make some ratings bonuses. And she did. The uh, It was a very successful hour. Welcome to this episode of Taking a Walk. Buzz Knight is your host, and he loves talking to his radio comrades from his past. Today, his guest is Bill Weston, legendary rock radio programmer, leader of the great WMMR and WMGK in Philly, and one of the finest in the business. Bill spent 45 years as an esteemed program director at great radio stations all over the country. Bill Weston joins Buzz Knight next on Taking a Walk. So I'm so excited. We're uh, in the lobby of uh, the glorious Warwick Hotel <laughs> in Rittenhouse Square. This is like probably the perfect acoustic environment. <laughs> well, this is where we start the oh. Take It A Walk episode, Oh, to give that, that audio verite? Yes. Okay. So nice to see you. <laughs> and to be in your town, Philadelphia. Uh, I was reminded, I had not been downtown in uh, quite some time. So when I was coming down to park and I was walking up a walnut and seeing the piles of trash and the, the homeless and the, van, the panhandlers. It's like, I really miss downtown. It's just... Well, this is big city life, of course. Now, I will say I was here last year, roughly at this time, um, and we had uh, a nice dinner in this uh, same area here. In fact, I think uh, the same spot that we're going to dinner uh, later but uh, we didn't get a chance to record a uh, episode of the podcast, so 
now uh, I hit the jackpot. I'm not only able to have dinner with you, but uh, we're also going to record an episode. I'm, uh, I'm honored and uh, excited. So I thought rather than winding through the career of Bill Weston from the beginning, which I often do in terms of uh, my radio friend guests on the podcast, um, I prefer to start at the, the present and work backwards because the Philadelphia part of your career, and we could start sauntering if you'd like to, uh, the Philadelphia part of your career has been such a long-standing, uh, amazing run, and uh, we don't want that headline to get buried. So, um, how long have you been in Philadelphia, first of all? Oh, my God. Um, I remember coming up I-95 from Richmond, <laughs> waiting for the revolving door. I-95 from, I-95 from Richmond. From Richmond that, horrible, that horrible drive in 2004. And having dinner with you and Shecky. Yes. Uh, the inimitable Mr. Feinblatt. Yes. Um, at La Colina, uh, right there in Maniunk, yep. and starting this amazing run. Yeah, but yeah, 2004. Wow. Time flies, my God. Is that the longest uh, tenure oh, gig for you oh, in your career? By by like two hundred percent. I think the the other the the second longest stop would be maybe eight years that I did in Providence. Okay, you know at WHJY. We'll get to that. Yeah, but um, so did you go into the job having any idea how long uh, you'd be here? <laughs> Of course you didn't. No. I mean, I know you didn't. No, I mean, I didn't I didn't know what was going to happen. I knew that it was a good opportunity. I felt like you had my back. I felt like Fred had my back and, and Rick and subsequently John Fulham. But, but I didn't know, right? It was like it was better than where I was because uh, Richmond was in a state of, yeah, not turmoil, flux. So... I didn't want to move and change schools and all that stuff for my cousins, but I did it. I said, let's let's take a swing because it was a major market, which, you know, I uh, didn't do so well in New York, right? But okay, so Philly's top 10. Let's see if we can make something happen. I felt that greater media had a lot of resources and that they really wanted to win. And if you're rated 13th, it's like really nowhere to go but up. So... But I had no idea it would, it would run this long. And Greater Media had tried to recruit you to go to Detroit. <laughs> Mr. Tom Bender yeah. brought you in. I, I went up there and I interviewed because I was like, it can't hurt, right? Let's talk to these people and see what they're all about. I like Tom a lot. Uh, Detroit didn't scare me because I'm from the Buffalo area. But uh, it scared the crap out of my wife. She said, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize that. Yes. Connie had a bit of, she said, look, if we got to go someplace, we're not going to Detroit. <laughs> so, since yeah. when is your wife Connie so direct in her <laughs> thoughts? Oh, my God. Oh. Well, I'm be, saying that lovingly. But, yes. And you know what? Here's, here's a great uh, observation. As an Army brat, she moved around a ton in her youth. So, when we moved from... Savannah to Buffalo to Providence to New York to Providence to Richmond, she was okay, right? But uh, 
Yeah. So we uh, we we slowed. We took a uh, we took a we took a swing, and here we are. But just to go back on Detroit for a second, that period of time, though, for Detroit as a big city, it was a tough period in a sense. Experience uh, greater, you know, resurgence uh, yeah. as a city. I think there's some um, uh, some shine put back on the apple there, right? But yeah, in uh, 2002, maybe 2003, I think might have been. I don't know. In early early 2000s, it was just kind of like how do how do I get out of Richmond, which really was a quality of life move. I wasn't really there to make any great strides, but the company that owned the station was, I don't know, the, the guy leading it was a little psychotic. <laughs> leave it there. Yeah, leave it right there. Um, now, you had known WMMR, certainly, as a guy who followed the industry, right? Oh. When I was in all those smaller markets, starting out in Buffalo and as a music director in the early 80s, or, oh gosh, where did I go? It was in Cortland and whatever. I'd always read in the trades and see all these great pictures of WMMR. This guy, Quigley, I think, was the promotions director, and it was the, the zoo years with the Bella. And by the Charlie way, Kendall. it's coincidental that we're walking around Rittenhouse Square yes. as well, because MMR was here at that time, I believe. And they did some amazing things. They were, their pictures were always in the trades with famous rock musicians or doing some crazy promotion. They go, wow, that station has got it going on, right? It was really the bigger-than-life attitude. Yeah, it was like... Yeah. Now, Philadelphia has a little bit of, not like Detroit, but, you know, Philadelphia is, is a, uh, a little grit, a, a little a bit of a grit on the city around. You know, it's a blue-collar town. It's it's not, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not L.A., although it's probably worse out there. I know I'm getting off the track. But, yeah, so Philadelphia as a lifestyle move was, um, I didn't know. I didn't know what uh, to expect. But living in the suburbs here, it's like living in the suburbs in Cleveland or Pittsburgh or anywhere else. It's like you find your spot and then you make a home. And then uh, you certainly um, stumble upon this morning show by the name of uh, Precedent Steve, which is done, uh, I think, okay. Huh? Oh, my God. <laughs> Smartest thing I ever did. Now, I'd like to say hiring D. Snyder to do nights was the smartest thing I ever did. That was a John Fulham thing. John says, look, we need to do something. Early on, nothing was going on. He said, we need to do something to make some noise. So we put D. Snyder in at 7 at midnight and built him a studio in his Long Island house and whatever. But no, he said, look, you got to find a morning show. That was John's marching orders, and he gave me six to eight months. And we started talking to people and flying people in. Solo guys, teams, new people, established shows, and right in our backyard with these guys yucking it up every morning. And uh, they were pretty good. They were pretty good. It was um, it was kind of the obvious choice in the end. And it's a beautiful story. I mean, it's uh, still massively successful, and obviously it's a centerpiece to an amazing radio station yeah. to, uh, that yeah. uh, is still day in and day out doing uh, amazing things uh, for the, the city of Philadelphia. I freely admit that um, those coattails of theirs, of the Preston Steve show, I, <laughs> I am hanging on tight. <laughs> no, they, you know what it is? They're good people. 
and they uh, still work hard. Most of them still really work hard at the show, right? And 18 years in of being number one by by double, so no coasting at all, and uh, that's pretty admirable because when you achieve a level of success and you've got guaranteed contracts and you've got all of this stability think well they could but but they don't they still really care deeply about the show and, and the audience but the same could be said for the rest of the staff at WMMR too right yeah, I mean yeah. it's just embedded in the thinking for that radio station to just care about what they do right? yeah I think that, that even the the Preston Steve show would admit that they're not as big as this station the brand of WMMR with its 54 years and its Pierre Robert, 41 years in the, at the station and still having talent that we take chances on, like with Jackie Bam Bam and, you know, Brent in the, the afternoon. So, yeah, they, 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 would, uh, they would agree that it's the station brand. But, but Preston and Steve and, and Pierre and everybody else make, make it a special place. And then you stumble into this other radio station in the building that uh, they handed you the keys to, named WMGK. Um, how much fun has that been, being with that group? Well, you know, when when uh, when that was handed to me, I was like, oh, gee, thanks. No. Oh. <laughs> I really, uh, back in the old days, where you know MMR was this uh, sovereign. Nation. It was like it had its own everything, its own programmer, its own music director, own sales staff, own promotions. Everything was was uh, was you know easy to keep track of. And then okay, all of a sudden I'm going to dividing my time with now this and another radio station that also plays Led Zeppelin and Aerosmith, and so there's some sharing there, trying to keep them uh, wingtip to wingtip. Um, I don't know. It was uh, first off, it was hard, but there was a, there was an office on the third floor where MGK Studios were, and then there was the MMR office on the fourth floor. So there was a little bit of a when I would go down those stairs, it would help me kind of like you know reset. Like, okay, who am I talking to? What are the issues? What's what's the what's the psyche of the station and. You know, but I didn't want them ever to feel like they were second citizens. You know, so that was the that was a tough part. But it turned out okay. They're also uh, doing pretty well. You know, they're uh, they're like the top-rated station in Philly in the uh, in the June book six plus, which is like, wow, that's like uh, that's everybody. You know, now granted, a lot of their audience is is uh, 55 plus, and that's the the challenge. But if you talk about Every radio listener in Philadelphia, most of them listen to MGK, which is pretty cool. But then go back to the Providence period because I think it is worth jumping around a little yeah, bit because yeah. that this is good rather than a chronological approach. Well, you know, about, uh, why why make it easy for people to understand? Let's make it as <laughs> difficult as possible if they don't know you. Okay, That's, I'm, I'm up for that. But um, no, WHJY. Quite a legendary station to this day. Um, what are the similarities, do you think, between HJY and a WMMR? Well, 
I mean, obviously, WMR, major market, a lot more at stake. The value of the property, the price of the spots is kind of elevated. Um, but both rock stations with that uh, 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 irreverence, uh, with that uh, uh, not naughtiness. Naughtiness doesn't <laughs> But, you know, like to get in trouble a little bit, you know, pushing the boundaries. That, very similar, you know. Because when you, that's why I've been in rock radio, I think, all this time. Because there's always been that kind of element of fun, pushing, whether it's, you know, the language you use in sweepers or there's a topical event. You want to cuff that around a little bit, make some fun of it. Yeah, I think irreverence is probably the best way that is very similar to both of those properties. But uh, in Providence, when I started there, Merv Griffin owned it. One of seven stations he owned. That was it. Right? And then deregulation happened in the, uh, I don't know, 89, 90, whatever that was. And things all started kind of kind of just changing. Did you um, encounter uh, Merv? Ever oh, yes. Yeah, tell, what was that like? Fascinating. Fascinating individual. He always used to work, use that word a lot. Fascinating. <laughs> um... He uh, he owned WHUY, WHJJ. He also had a station, WMRV, which I think is in Binghamton, which I thought was, you know, nicely, you know, named like Merv, <laughs> MRV. Hey, he owned it. Yeah. Um, but he came to the station um, like a year after I was there. We did a live broadcast. He came in and sat on the morning show. We had a thing at the station and... Um, he could go into a room with 40 or 50 people in there and be introduced, blah, 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 and Sammy and Mary and Jimmy and John, whatever. And 40 minutes later, as he's, uh, like, maybe leaving the room, every name, every name, Jimmy, uh, Mary, John, Joe, Mike, whatever. He was really good at, I think, looking at people, listening to what they said when they told him their names. And uh, it was like, wow, that cat is cool. Plus all, you know, the, he wrote the yeah, Jeopardy so, uh, theme. Uh, that was, uh, <laughs> it's like, that guy has done uh, amazing things. And it was, it was cool working for Merv Griffin because no, no, there was that there. little bit of star power, a little bit of that, uh, you know, TV stuff that was in there. Did you see him exit the radio business uh, while you were still yes. working for him? He sold the station to Mike Craven and Jim Thompson, which coincidentally have a tie-in with WMR in Philadelphia. Yep. They, uh, they bought the Merv properties, and called it Liberty Broadcasting, a couple of other things that they bought. And they were they were cool guys. I remember getting to go to Aruba for company meetings. Really? <laughs> Can you imagine that? We're going to fly everybody to Aruba, we're going to have company meetings. And to their credit, we sat in a hotel room for like six or seven hours on both days that we were there. It's like, why did we come to Aruba if we're going to actually work? <laughs> <laughs> Boondoggle. <laughs> you made reference to your time in New York City. Um, how quick was that time? Uh, first time I've ever been fired. And uh, I wish I could have been successful. Uh, but it was tough. It was tough. I was, you know, eight years into Richmond or into uh, WHJY. Ratings were great. Kind of, I'd managed, I developed a new morning show, Paul and Al. Still there, by the way. Oh, my God. I think they've been on the air there since, I don't know, 30 years. Mm -hmm. um, but 
Somebody, uh, Dave Richards called me. What's that? Um, he was on the, uh, he was at the, across the street at WWRX, Classic Rock Station, and they could not get arrested with HJY. So when he moved on, he remembered the work I was doing there, and he said, look, there's an opening at uh, WAXQ, uh, Q104 in New York, and you should come down here and talk to them. So, okay, I'll talk to them, and... Jimmy DeCastro uh, was the, the head honcho and uh, Chancellor Media and he had he'd done the Man Cow thing in Chicago he put Man Cow and WRCX was it? I think it was that there was a call they were the big rock station sure. they were on fire in Chicago and he'd worked with this woman at one of their urban properties in San Francisco named Darian O'Toole his 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 genius move was to bring Darian O'Toole from San Francisco into New York and replicate his success as he'd done with Mancow. Now, WNEW is still on the air, right? WNEW's classic rock, and it's like they still got, uh, I think Pat St. John was on, and a lot of those famous names. So they were the heritage classic rock station in New York, and we're like another classic rock station. So it was... Um, They'd wanted to take it a little less hits and a little bit more rock. Yeah. A little harder classic yeah. rock. Yeah. Basically. They said, okay, we can do that. Get an edgy morning show going and whatever. Oh, boy. It was uh, it was tough. But it was a couple years you were there. I was only there 13 months, 14 oh, months. Got it. Yeah. Well, and New then, York, will, I, they tell me, grind you up and spit you out. Yeah. Yeah. I sure wish we could have done better. But uh, I look at them now. They're like, they're kicking butt. Kicking butt. Did you hire Scott Muni? I did. I did, and I give credit to Amy Winslow for that. She was music director at at NEW, and I hired her to come be music director at Q. And uh, Scott was on. I think he might have been his airship might have been reduced or whatever. He was having a a tough time at that stage of his career. But Amy got me a meeting with the guy, and I remember. Fats. We met at a Fats. We met at some bar. And there's Amy, and there's there's Scott, and I'm on the other side of Amy because I figured out she's going to break the ice and whatever. And he was open to coming to, to Q and uh, doing more work. And I said, great, we're going to record this show. It's going to be a, a midday, uh, noontime thing. Said, oh, no, no, it's got to be live. And I said, how do you tell a guy who's, who's having trouble... I've heard him live on NEW, and he would, he'd missed a step or two, right, out of all respect. But if we could produce a show, it would sound great. We eventually convinced him to do it, um, and it was probably the one success I had there, because the noon hour, Maria Melito would be on from 10 to noon, we'd have Scott Muni hour from noon to 1, and then Maria would come up and finish and do 1 to 3. And I said, Maria, don't be upset that we're breaking up your show because that hour is going to boost your overall 10 to 3 rating and you're going to make some ratings bonuses. And she did. The uh, It was a very successful hour. And um, I'm not sure you know this, but Mark Chernoff, my former boss and friend, recorded an episode of this podcast in Central Park. And he told me on the episode, he said, I think it's really cool how... Q104.3 still to this day does the Beatles thing kind of almost in tribute to yeah. Scott uh, in that regard. Yeah, that's what he would always insist on starting out every show at noon with a Beatles song. Yeah, it was kind of his thing. Yeah, that was cool. I wish uh, 
It was a mess. I did. I hired Mark. But he got to call you fats. I, <laughs> did he call you fats? I don't know. Maybe once or twice. It was. Uh, it was an honor. I mean, the guy. He was a true legend. Oh, I mean, yeah. the Beatles stuff and all that, all that history and Lennon. And you were saying you hired somebody. Mark. I hired Mark Parento <laughs> oh. to do afternoons. Oh. Uh, now, at the time, we again we were looking to do anything and. Uh, Parento, uh, I'd listened to and was well aware of his uh, success at BCN in Boston. And I don't know why he was available. Um, maybe they put Opie and Antheon up there, whatever. But but yeah, legendary disc jockey, certainly in Boston and um, Detroit, yeah. certainly previously. And, uh, and uh, it, uh, he, <laughs> all I remember about that is that he suffered, he did not suffer Darian O'Toole at all. And she was like this queen, and oh my god, it was a, it was a mess. She she had some oh, issues, I see. and Mark didn't give a crap about what her issues were. He called us, he called her out on so many things, and but he had a hard time in New York because nobody knew who he was, nobody cared. In Boston, he was the king. Oh, your table, Mister Pronto, right over here, sir. Whatever. But in New York, he was like anonymous, invisible, and uh, I mean a good jock, but he he had a hard time. Um, you know, with the uh, kind of starting over. Do you know what one of his big catchphrases was when he was uh, on the air at uh, <laughs> at uh, BCN? I, I could. Can uh, you believe uh, I have uh, people from West Germany when I was deported in 1985 that are following me still this day. Yeah. All right. I'm Robbie West, Rob Coe from the railroad. My dad, my mom graduated from. And they were happy to save me here in 1949. My dad was Secret Service on the Pennsylvania Railroad. Yeah, my brother got all the railroad stock. Oof. He merged with, we merged with Canadian National. Kenny already did that. Hell, what the fuck are these kids doing? Right? You're out of their fucking minds. Yeah. No, bro, I'm only 59. You look like my uncles or somebody. <laughs> Your older uncles? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah okay. Oh, man. Look, right. look, what the, what's the kid on now? Uh, is he in or is he out? Uh, you no, take it easy, man. I got the 67 yeah. Sportster, right? Uh, My dad bought it for me when I was 15. This is why Rittenhouse Square is uh, a I'm crazy smelling, place. I'm, I'm smelling Rittenhouse I'm, Square oh, just boy. go by. Very uh, sticky. Sticky yeah. sweet. Oh my goodness. Yes. It's part of the local color. Well, Although, he was you know, very colorful. Yeah. Yeah. But this is this is why we like to be uh, actually in person for a uh, episode of Taking yeah. a Walk. So, um, yeah, so New York uh, blew up after 14 months and I had a I had a year left on my deal, which was great. So, I could uh, take some time. And uh, and I uh, had a hard time being uh, Stand at home, paint. I painted my house, and then what? And I go, I got to do something. So I went to work for MJI. Who was, uh, was it Josh? Josh Feigenbaum? Josh, Josh Feigenbaum. Yes. Right. And uh, Josh might be listening to this somewhere. Um, on his boat? On one of his boats. Because uh, <laughs> I think Josh got a couple of boats out of the deal. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it was funny. Is uh, so do you were like in charge of uh, programming stuff for them, or on the surface you would say it's the perfect programmer's dream job. They said, "Yeah, we want you to sit in this cubicle, and we want you to cook up show ideas oh. that we can produce and then attach commercials to." It's like wow, and it's like I mean, I get to sit here and just be cr- purely creative. 
Uh, and that's a little harder than it sounds. Had a couple of ideas, did a couple of half-baked shows, but you know what? The cubicle thing, it was kind of a journalistic environment. I missed the hallway vibe, the fires, the what, whatever. And I went back to Providence and, uh, and worked for Jim Corwin again at a, at a classic rock station, which uh, that didn't last long because it was a Clear Channel station when Clear Channel was only 20 stations and some TV. And then uh, what was the, the big banana that they merged with? Um, like West Star and all the... Um, I can't remember. There were the, multiple ones, yeah, I think. Anyway, but it was too many stations in the market, and I found myself with another year on a two-year deal. <laughs> like, I think I'll sit around and I'll clear the brush around my house. I bought a chainsaw. <laughs> and I'm clearing brush, and I'm doing crap. And, and then uh, and a friend of mine, Virgil Thompson, who I worked with in Savannah, said, Hey! We got stationed out of Richmond. Uh, why don't you come down and talk to us? Like, I got nothing else to do. You're going to pay for the plane ticket? So I went down there, and uh, and I loved the GM. His name was Steve McCall. He was just the coolest guy. Very positive, whatever. I ended up taking the job. I said, honey, we're moving to Richmond. And she goes, what? <laughs> I said, it's a job. And uh, and she loved it. She uh, She's a Southern person, so the, the uh, Southern vibe and the hospitality and... You know, people walking by on the street don't look at their shoes or their phone. They tend to look at you and say hello, which we liked. You see people like the crazy guy that was just over here down yeah. there? Yeah. Uh, Tom really. Costco? In, yeah, well. In Savannah? <laughs> I mean, every every city has its uh, colorful people. But we, I liked it. And I was yeah. going to just have my kids grow up and go to finish school and do all that stuff. And... Uh, and for about three years, that was the case. And then, then you called. And you said, hey, we'd like to talk to you. I was like, mm. But uh, do you remember the first time you called? I think it was about MGK. And I was like, yeah. But the second time you called was about MMR. And there's something really special. Well, and then the Detroit time, too. Oh, yeah. I, I was that very was persistent. I knew I had encountered you at uh, industry functions, and certainly we knew each other from proximity. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, um, when I left WZLX, they might have even talked to you to replace me oh, when I left, I think, I, at one point. I, uh, did, I believe. Uh, I did waste a plane trip going up there to talk to, uh, <laughs> to Tony Berardini. Was that the guy? Was he the head cheese? Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that was not going to happen. But I knew I wanted to, you know, get you uh, into the organization. Yeah, and, you were uh, you. I I am so appreciative of you and also uh, your cohort, Fred Jacobs, who I up until Richmond I had not worked with Fred, and I am so uh, thankful that I got to do that because that guy has been just a great confidant, a mentor, just just a super positive and knowledgeable consultant along the way so one of the great people yes a really nice human being and um, I recently saw your old boss John Fulham with his lovely wife Debbie uh, for dinner with my wife and we had a raucous uh, evening in uh, in Boston tremendous time nice but, yeah uh, had not run into his wife for many, many years. I think maybe back to a Christmas party down here in Philadelphia or something. But uh, we had uh, one of those nights where 
suddenly it was three hours later and we were leaving the, the restaurant yeah. and it was like, boy, time flew. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But, yeah, he's uh, also... Um, he's a special yeah. guy. Yeah, special. Well, I'm so grateful to uh, have had the time to be with you here. And this was like, be easy. this was easy, you know, just kind of chit-chatting and... Uh, we actually did take a walk, and then we parked ourselves on the bench here in Rittenhouse Square. Bill Weston, congrats on all your successes and your continued success. Thank you, Buzz. It's been terrific. Love you, brother. Love you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Taking a Walk podcast. Share this and other episodes with your friends and follow us so you never miss an episode. Taking a Walk is available on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to 500 Greatest Songs, a podcast based on Rolling Stone's hugely popular, influential, and sometimes controversial list. I'm Brittany Spanos. And I'm Rob Sheffield. We're here to shed light on the greatest songs ever made and discover what makes them so great. From classics like Fleetwood Mac's Dreams to the Ronettes' Be My Baby and modern day classics like The Killer's Mr. Brightside. Listen to Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every family has an origin story, one passed down through the generations. Mine happens to be a mystery involving my great-great-grandmother left behind in Sicily. I'm Joe Piazza, and my new podcast will transport you to the gorgeous island of Sicily as I trace my roots back through a whodunit for the ages. Listen to The Sicilian Inheritance on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Every week on Talk Easy with Sam Fragoso, I invite an artist, writer, or politician to come to the table and speak from the heart in ways you probably haven't heard from them before. Some of my favorites are with Tom Hanks, Questlove, and Kate Blanchett. In recent weeks, I had talked to actor Dan Levy, director Ava DuVernay, and the editor of The New Yorker, David Remnick. You can listen to Talk Easy on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, stories from the frontiers of marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Pitbull. I think that education is the real revolution because as much as we speak about all the problems that there is in society and the world today, my mother's always told me, son, don't worry, the world's always been coming to an end. Don't let it scare you out of living. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.